0: This week's guest is Mike Derry, who joins us for this interview from New York City. Mike currently splits his time between Cartagena, Colombia and New York. Originally from Penticton, B.C., Mike waited tables and bartended through college. Mike has spent his working life in various careers, teacher, commercial production, legal recruiter in New York City, until he came back to his dream, bar life. Mike opened his first bar in New York City in 2013 and sold it several years later in 2018. Eventually, Mike opened his next bar in Cartagena, Colombia after traveling there for a vacation. This bar opened six weeks before the pandemic and then immediately shut down for eight months due to pandemic restrictions. The bar survived the pandemic and is now thriving. Currently, Mike is looking for a new space in New York City. Enjoy the show.
1: Okay, welcome to another episode of the Industry Podcast. Kip and Dan with you here as usual. All right, how's it going? I'm doing all right, man. How are you? Well, it's still awesome. No complaints. Yeah, yeah it's good. good to
0: be here. <laughs> another day in Paradise as always.
1: <laughs> I don't know, switch days with you. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. can go deal with the fucking fire department in Cambridge and I'll uh, just hang out in your house and be awesome.
0: Sure, sure. No, <laughs> I had to go to the office today.
1: Yeah, uh, They're making us work from uh,
0: the office a couple times a week. So there was three of us. And our office seats
1: 45. Yeah, I wonder what <laughs> wonder why nobody can get a lunch crowd going yeah, at the restaurant. It's
2: a little tough, a little tough.
1: Yeah. I know we need that office. I know I know you're not eager to go back full time, but no. for people in the service industry, we're eager for you to go back to the yeah, that's true. <laughs> okay, we have a great guest as usual coming right up. Mike Derry will be joining us in a minute. Before we get to him, we should mention that if you're in the Kitchener Waterloo area, you'll be wanting to check out Sugar Run downtown kitchen or at sugar run bar on instagram to check out the events that are happening there at babylon sisters bar on instagram is where you're going to find out what's going on at babylon sisters uptown waterloo and stay tuned you can you can follow at argyle arms bar i, I think that's what i, I should oh, probably... Argyle arms 2023 that's right at argyle arms 2023 on instagram to find out when that place is finally going to open is there
0: any underscores in that name or is it all just one long thing it's all one thing
1: but Try i should probably that know out. that a, my social media manager set it up for me, but I should know this stuff. But yeah, so stay tuned to that those places to find out what's going on event wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, there are underscores. It's Argyle underscore Arms underscore twenty twenty three on Instagram. Check that out, and uh, you'll we're looking hopefully to open this month. So yeah, nice. Yeah, stay tuned for that. If you would like to be a guest on the industry podcast, you can DM us at the industry podcast on Instagram. Or email us, info at industrypodcast.club If you want to advertise, those are the places to reach us also. Subscribe, rate, review. Obviously, you're going to want mm-hmm. to do that. And uh, Zach Hanna at zachanna.co is the man behind the artwork on the Instagram page. Big shout out to him as always. Check him out for all of your graphic arts needs. That's dot hco mm-hmm. And uh, I guess that's all we got to short a lot about let's uh bring in someone who knows what they're talking about bingo All <laughs> right, mike Derry joining us here from new york how are you mike gentlemen how are you thanks for having me doing,
0: doing great thanks for coming on the show
1: yeah appreciate it very excited. so you are actually also canadian is this correct uh, i am
3: born and raised in penticton in british columbia and uh spent up until the end of high school there and then started to branch out lived in victoria went to uvic for a while and then UBC and then I ended up in Los Angeles for a bit and then made my way to New York over 20 I guess about 24 years ago and have been in New York since and now Cartagena
1: right so when you like I know you've had a few different jobs some in and some outside of the service industry when you moved to New York originally were you in the service industry or was that during one of your other professions no. What happened? I actually
3: was a teacher. for I was a middle school oh. teacher for about six years and hated it. Um, <laughs> my dad's a teacher. <laughs> um, it runs in the family and he kind of pushed me in that direction. But I, I never really loved it. I loved the kids, but I didn't love the job. And it was one of those things where in the back of my mind, I always wanted to open a bar. And right. and teaching was kind of just dragging me along and didn't quite do it for me. And then uh, decided to pull the trigger and and open a bar.
1: Right. So, and your first bar was in New
3: York, correct? Yeah, it was in the East Village called Juke Bar. And It's still oh. there. It's on uh, Second Avenue, and um, that was an experience. Uh, that was a hell of an experience.
1: Yeah. So, did uh, you but... have did you have a ton of service industry experience before you did that, or was it more like you always just kind of wanted to own a bar and thought you'd give it a go?
3: It was <clears throat> in college. I was a bartender, okay. and a waiter, and mm-hmm. Even managed a few places as well, so I probably had about seven or eight years of just hardcore bartending experience under mm-hmm. my belt, and always loved it, and always wanted to come back to it. But was you know following the, the the right thing to do, which is you know get a college degree and and get a profession. And in the back of my mind, I always thought back to those days and think, oh man, I really like to do this myself one time. Uh, right. And yeah, so. So, I know. so when we got to New, well, when I was in New York, I was doing, I was trying to be responsible. I just had a kid, and we were, you know, struggling with my uh, ex-wife's business, and so I was just trying to to fill in the background financially, mm-hmm. uh, and and then when things were ready, when I had a little bit of money put together, I said, OK, right, I'm going to pull the trigger. I'm going to, I'm going to finally do what I want to do," and and chased it.
1: So. Right. So I've got obviously some experience with opening bars and what a pain in the ass it can be and the challenges therein. But talk to us a little bit about like you trying to open a bar in New York. I'm sure the rents are crazy. And uh, what's it like dealing with the city in New York? Like, Just give us a little rundown of your, the process of opening the first spot.
3: Well, I had no idea what I was doing. I had literally no idea what I was (laughs) was in for
1: at all. Yeah, we always think we do. And then, yeah. (laughs) I had
3: a a partner that was a fireman who was a good guy, but we ended up having a falling out after we got open. Like, it was just just hard from the beginning. And when you don't have a bar under your belt, no one wants to take you seriously. There's nobody going to give you investor money. Mm -hmm. So you have to come in with your own money. And you have to figure it out. There's a lot of just... Knowing where to put things, where to build out the bar, where to where to put refrigeration, where to put the, you know, the wells uh, up to finding sound and finding all the permits for everything, because New York has a lot of permitting as well. Mm-hmm. So it, it became very complicated. And I learned quickly, you know, we were putting in, oh gosh, 16 hour days before we opened, you know, just trying yeah. to get this thing built out and, and up and running, you know. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, my, my theory at the time was, I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, I don't know if this is going to work or not. I want to do it. I don't have investor money. I'm putting my own money in, so I'm not going to put a lot into it. So we're going to build this thing out as cheaply as possible. And if I lose, I don't lose too much. Mm-hmm. And if I win, then great. I'm going to continue on with this career. And we we did okay. I mean, I made the money back in the first year that we put into it. Um, we were profitable day one, uh, opened up big and just stayed you know, popular through the whole time. And you know, had some growing pains, had to change partners um had a falling out and brought in a new partner and things went really well for for about five year run we had it uh, until we decided to sell
1: yeah that partner thing's interesting right like it's very it's a cliche but you really don't know until it's like moving in with someone right like you don't really know you could be great friends but until you like try and get into business together having a business together is way different than just you know, being friends. So like, there's so many more pressures and everyone's got their own, like, you don't know what someone's philosophy about doing business is, or how they go about it until you are actually working with them. Right.
3: It's, it was, it was sad because we were good friends. Yeah. You know, we, 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 we got along great. We had good, you know, similar sense of humor. And then once the business opened, it just was not, we weren't on the same page at all.
1: Yeah, and that happened to me at my first spot too. So yeah. I'm yeah. familiar with it. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And then got, you know, I had a manager at the time. So he came in and and bought it at, at a quarter percent, uh, quarter well, like twenty-five percent. Mm-hmm. And that synergy went really well. So we, you know, we were able to work well together and and you know, everything cleaned up afterward and it became much more enjoyable. You know, it, it was a really good, really good little spot it's still there it's open now like the guys that bought it are, are running it so
1: nice oh, wow. you know, and what yeah. so when you're looking for um a spot in new york obviously there's thousands of bars in new york it's a massive city uh many different areas to choose from what made you settle on the east village that, in that area and what was your con did you have a concept for the bar or was it just like uh let's just open a bar talk to us about that a little i,
3: I knew it wanted to be a cocktail bar con- the concept was going to be dictated by the space. So what okay. does it look like? And then you, you start to let the space speak to you. And I still do that. I did that with the space in, in Cartagena. And again, I'm looking, you know, like I told you earlier mm-hmm. today, I was, we're looking at spaces for, for another cocktail bar in New York, in the West mm-hmm. Village. And it's, it's <clears throat> we didn't have a, a strict concept in mind, which is probably easier when you're looking for for spaces. So. It, you know, it it lended itself to it was an underground bar. We wanted to do kind of like a fun loving cocktail bar that was I I mean, at that time, everybody was was doing speakeasies. It was, you know, serious drinks. Everybody was doing either serious cocktails or they were doing cocktails at all. Right. And we were at that was 2013 when we opened. And it was right around the time when people were really getting into the cocktail movement and we wanted to have accessible fun drinks we put them in the mason jars that we had a dj it wasn't you know sit down listen to low jazz and yeah. you know we wanted a loud place that was a party and and enjoy the cocktails as well so kind of mm-hmm. blended up the two concepts of a cocktail bar and a fun lounge you know so but i don't you know we ended up calling it juke bar which was my My ex-partner was African-American and his father was from the South and an activist. He wanted to do a juke joint sort of concept, which kind of worked and kind of didn't work. Uh, We didn't really, we never really nailed it. People didn't quite understand what we were. And so we kind of cut that part out and made it more just about a jukebox and make it more music oriented. And that was our, that was our catch. Just having good DJs, having really great music and making sure that the music was kind of the driving force behind the bar. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of hip hop, a lot of, uh, reggae, a lot of, you know, pop, uh, a lot of jazz. I mean, we play everything on any given night, Latin music. Mm-hmm. And that became that kind of, that became our, our central focus. And then have cocktails on the side that were really good. You know, like we tried to make
0: bread. What was the capacity of that place? uh officially
1: yeah <laughs> yeah no t- for the official numbers don't mean shit. tell us how many people you put in there
3: legally <laughs> we had uh, we had 69 uh right. probably had about 125 130 there on a friday or saturday night oh, it's nice. yeah. a good yeah sense. i mean it was with standing room only was about 1400 square feet it wasn't big but we mm. were we were pretty busy you know three deep at the bar constantly you know we had Three or four bartenders, myself, I'd be bartending. We all jump in and, and just go, 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 you know, mm, during the week course. a little slower, a little more relaxed, but during the weekend it was it was a zoo. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, oh, so how do you then end up opening a place in Colombia? Long story. So <laughs>
3: during that <laughs> during that time, we um interesting story too. Uh, during that time, we got the idea we we're gonna do some canned cocktails. We we're getting, it was before. You know, the seltzers came out was before anybody was really doing it. We were just starting to get a few RTDs on the, on the market. And we developed three or four through a lab and decided we were going to we were gonna try and get into distribution of, of our canned cocktails. And we tested them on the market through Juke Bar and got excited about it. We had a pretty good product. And then we found out that you can't have a wholesale liquor license and a retail liquor license at the same time in New York City. In right. New York State. It's against the law. It's called Tidehouse Law. But so we had to either, you know, sell the bar or give up on that. And so we decided let's just test the market. Uh, put the bar on the put the bar on the market and see if we get any uh, get any hits. Like nobody in New York was really paying key money for a bar because there's so many spaces available. Mm-hmm. But immediately we got some really good offers and a bidding war going, and, and it went well. So we sold. Oh wow! At the same time, we went on vacation to Cartagena, uh, right around the time we were selling, and it was packed. It was just booming. There was just lineups at every bar and restaurant and it was really nice and it was not in the U S and we thought, well, why don't we, we we don't know what the hell we're doing with, with distribution of a, of a product. Let's go open a bar, get some income coming in and then we'll revisit this cocktail thing. Mm -hmm. So that was the plan. Um, and we got a couple of guys together that all wanted to do it, that it all had, prior history in the in the industry and there was four of us at that point we found a great space that had three levels two terraces it was huge 60 foot ceiling it was great we worked on that deal for about a year and it all fell apart and there was money laundering involved i mean it was it's a crazy story (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if i'm allowed to talk about it because there's investigations going on about the guy who owned the building but basically what happened is we, we put down a deposit and pretty hefty deposit and literally 15 minutes after we put down the deposit for the space that we'd been working on for nine months, 10 months, 11 months. I can't remember. He calls us and says, the deal's off. We're, we're selling the building. And I went, what are you, you gotta be kidding me. You know, like yeah. we I put so much into, to, to getting down there and getting banking cups set up and getting permits and getting, you know, visas and all that kind of stuff. And, and this guy backs out and we went, okay, I think everybody got frustrated with the, with the situation. I was the point person. I was the one down there still, you know, doing most of the work. And I was spending most of my time down there. And I was like, well, I'm down here already. I've got my bank account set up. I've got my tax ID numbers, my Colombian visa, all that stuff. And I'll, I'm just going to find any space right now. And just open something. Cause I was frustrated. Yeah. And so yeah. I found a small little, found a little small little place that was, uh, you know, was, uh, glasses shot they sold glasses and sunglasses, and he was closing up and I took it you know, so that's where mondo opened mm. and uh so then recently I found out the big space with the uh the problems were it's owned by a Belgian royalty a member of Belgium royalty who did sell the space, but what he did is he had uh Apparently, and this is what I'm reading. So allegedly, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know about the legalities of what we're about to say here, but he opened a shell company in Panama and sold it to himself. And oh. he's under investigation for money laundering and fraud in Europe and all uh. kinds of stuff. So it was actually a blessing in disguise that we didn't didn't get the spot.
1: But so did you lose your deposit on that spot?
3: And uh, we ended up getting it back six months later because it was with oh, a third good. party. But it oh, took six right. months to get it. Yeah. So, so yeah. the original,
1: yeah, you know, the
0: original group you were working with there. How many of, were all you uh, based out of the U.S. at that point, or is there any locals?
3: Yeah, well, one, one's Colombian, uh, but he was he was in New York at the time, so mm. it was he was kind of the guy that the point person that started us gotcha. uh, looking down there and saying it's a really cool country and really cool culture, and and it is. It's mm-hmm. it's much better than people think it is. You know. Yeah, so was I'm...
0: it difficult for you to get like all the business accounts going? Being a like a cit- are you a U.S. citizen as well or just? Uh... Yeah, I
3: have dual citizenship. Okay. Uh, yes, it was... Yeah, it's it's difficult because there's just a ton of ton of paperwork in Colombia. I thought Colombia. You know, you've all yeah. well heard the stories. You know, yeah, like, yeah, they yeah. don't. It's lawless. Because of the history of Colombia, they overregulate now. And um, interesting. Everything is done to the T, like to, you know, every every penny that you bring into the to Colombia from the US has to be accounted for and shown and and then they have oh God. You know, I thought I thought New York had bureaucracy. <laughs> Colombia has bureaucracy and it moves slow. And uh. it's it's just it was very there's a lot of hoops to jump through, to say the least. It's just incredibly complicated and frustrating because it moved slowly and and also I wasn't I didn't speak Spanish at the time uh-huh. so kind of relying on translators and and that kind of thing as well to to get through the process and it was it was something. Yeah, um, so how do you, how do you even speak, sorry, I speak ahead. Spanish now.
1: Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> like how do you go about even like now so when you you, you get the place you decide you're going to flip it like you said you don't speak Spanish at the time now you're dealing with you got to find like workers to flip a glass store into a bar, right? Uh, unless you're doing it yourself. Um, and then you got to hire staff and everything else that goes in. And how are you navigating all of that process? Nice Colombian woman. So we're,
3: we've we been together for five years. And uh, so she became my point person. She was working in a bank at the time. And then she started helping me with all the... Her name is Maria. Um, mm-hmm. She's here too, in New York right now. Uh, so she was doing a lot of the... You know procedural things like Mm -hmm. making sure that we had all everything done right, opening the helping open the accounts. And at the time, I was you know really impressed with her, so we kept her on as the bar manager. And now she's a part owner of Mondo.
2: Nice, yeah. So
3: she she earned it. She's done a fantastic job. So she's probably more of the face of the bar than I am now. You know, she's really really the one doing the the in depth running of it. I'm more Mm -hmm. of a face right uh, at the front. You know, so. I got a
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah, good. Yeah, that's good. So, yep. so she found contractors. She found the HC guys. She found the plumbers. The, we, we pretty much gutted this building and built it all out again. And she found all those guys. And we did it fairly cheaply. We're still improving it. We're still making changes to it constantly. And then getting in and getting up and running, that's when my experience at Juke Bar really kicked in. Training the staff, training them on the cocktails, training them on service, um, have a different level of service uh, expectations than they have down there. So I, I don't find the service particularly great in Cartagena, mm-hmm. but our service is good. You know, we we, we work hard on that. So mm-hmm. um, so that's where my, my experience kicked in. So we ended up balancing each other pretty well. You know, she does the, she the back of the house, I do the front of the house, and it works well.
1: For the cost of setting up a place, because I'm sure, like, I can't even imagine the amount of money that goes into opening a place in New York, like uh, comparably in Cartagena. Is it like incredibly cheaper or? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and that's the attraction is like, wow, mm. I
3: can get this thing up and running for, you know, one hundred thirty, one hundred fifty thousand dollars. You know, right. that's from from bottom all the way up to we operating with, you know, with a budget. So it was incredibly cheap. But you can do it expensively as well. I mean, you can hire an architect and a designer and they're going to milk you. Yeah. The The difference between maybe doing your own design and then bringing someone in to do your design could be hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, it's <sighs> it's significant because, you know, they, they they just overcharge because they have you, you know, right. uh, and they have the expertise, apparently. So if you kind of I mean, we were our own general contractors. Basically, we, we were bringing everybody in. And having like a plumber work here, and, and the electrician work here, and AC guys working here, they were all separate guys that we brought in, and and kind of organized it ourselves, and saved a lot of money doing it that way. Mm, nice. you know? and then had a plan on on the design. You know, we've yeah. changed it completely since then, but. <laughs> <know>. <laughs>
1: so, how long has that placement
3: been open now? We opened six weeks before the pandemic. Right.
1: So, Todd, just a little bit, you were talking to us a little bit about this before we started recording, but tell our listeners about that whole process, like six weeks before the pandemic hits, and then you were closed for eight months. Eight months completely. Could not open. Um, So, financially,
3: it couldn't have been a more vulnerable time. Like, we were, you know, we had not been able to pull any money out yet, and we put everything into it, and... It's a tourist city, and there was no tourists. There was nobody allowed out on the streets. It was just, we were just done. So after a few months, they gave us uh, permission to deliver food. Well, nobody knew who we were. We, we didn't have a name for ourselves as a restaurant. So we went down there, and we we started making burgers and delivering them. I bought a little electric scooter, and I was yeah. the delivery guy, and mm. Maria was like cooking the burgers, and that's how we survived for a bit.
2: Wow. And oh, we didn't re-
3: we didn't really make any money, actually. It, it wasn't enough to survive. That's right. a misnomer. It kept us saying, you know, we had well, something it, to do.
1: Yeah, <laughs> like, uh, it's funny that you mentioned that, because when, for us, we were shut down completely on and off several times, right? And then when we were allowed to be open, it was, like, under ridiculous restrictions, like, 10 people maximum, including the staff. And, like, we were only allowed to be open until 9 p.m. Like, the rules didn't make any fucking sense. And... So for us, like we did start doing bottled cocktails and selling them and like that wasn't enough to keep us going either. We would sell them once a week on a Sunday afternoon and like and we would deliver them. But like I totally get what you mean. It was almost more like a mental relief, like something is happening. We're doing something like it's not enough to stay open, but at least we're doing something, you know.
3: It, it was it was depressing for a while. Yeah. It was just you know locked in our apartment and couldn't do anything you, in Columbia. You couldn't leave your house. You, I don't know what it was like oh, in Canada. Wow. I know in New York people could get out and go shopping. You couldn't. The streets mm-hmm. were empty, so it was really intense. So then they did open us up. Well, actually, be okay to serve food, but not alcohol. When they finally did open it up, now the interesting thing was they created this kind of team that would go in and, and check your place out, and if you met all the standards for the new you know, COVID readiness standards with plastic up and you yeah, know yeah, yeah. airflow systems and all that stuff, then you could sell alcohol again. But until right. then, till they came, you couldn't do it. So we couldn't get these guys to show up. We were oh, fuck us. this, right. You know, it was just going nuts. So what I did was, we're kind of a long bar, and we have two floors. It's long and narrow, and then you go up through the back, and then you go upstairs, and there's another bar upstairs. So what I did is I built a wall, uh, at the front and I tore down all our, our decor and, and just painted it the ugliest colors I could think of, like bright yellow and blue. And we put out a hot, we had, we made a hamburger stand. Like we were kind of selling hamburgers anyway. So we made right. this like hamburger stand and then there was a door to the back and we literally ran a, an illegal speakeasy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. So when, so when yeah. people found out that you could go back there and drink, they they started showing up. You know, so, you know, and we had crazy curfews at at two in the afternoon or six in the afternoon, but people were staying until three or four in the morning, you know, we just kept the music down and and we had to sort of sneak them in and out off the street because if the police caught them, they would be bad. Mm -hmm. And so we did that for about six weeks
1: and then we got caught. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. So what happens when you get caught? (laughs)
3: <laughs> well you know, there's a cop in the front going, what's that no one's back there? I go, ah, it's a cook, you know. There's a lot of cooks back there. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, Open it, and he opened it up and we were, you know, half full. And I go, oh, yeah. shit. <laughs> and um immediately the the team that's supposed to come to inspect got wind of this and they go, Well, what the hell's going on? And they came like to f- see what's going on and well we had them there we will inspect us you know so they inspected us and nine days later we were open so they gave us a oh, fine wow. and so we it open. actually
1: so, so they actually it actually worked, worked out. out yeah oh ah, it's crazy so hey, fuck, it If fuck that, if that same scenario happened <laughs> in ontario i like i would probably i would never have been allowed to open another place again <laughs>
3: <laughs> well at that point i had nothing to lose i mean were, yeah.
1: Now, we're just yeah on, but uh, it's funny like, that it actually ends up kind of being the savior of the whole the bot place right because you got you finally got the permit guy to come (laughs) yeah yeah ironically yeah and they
3: came in they inspected us and we didn't have to do much And next thing we know we were were open so and then they did crazy curfews they would extend it to 11 for a bit and then they would drop it back down to eight and so you know you're we're never really really making it we're just kind of hanging on up until i don't know maybe last june
1: it's so it's you know what it's uh mike it's so fucking like it's actually you're giving me like bad like vietnam style flashbacks to this time period because it's like i like i forget how fucking stressful it was like it it seems like a, a total different lifetime now to me but like going through that and like constantly getting jerked around with the curfews and and it's like you said you're not you're not you're barely hanging on like every every week you're just like checking your bank account. Is there going to be enough to make it to the next week? Whatever, right? And it's a real triumph of adversity that we, both of our places, yours and mine, made it, right? So, which is great. But like thinking back to that time, but how fucking stressful it was every day. And you just think, like, yeah, people are coming in, but they're jerking you around with the curfews. You never know when you're going to be allowed to be open. And then like one day you might get two people walk in. then <laughs> The next day you might get yeah. 20, but it's never busy. Like, never, no, it was never busy. You know? <laughs>
3: uh, it was you're talking about the stressful the side to it, the stress that I had, obviously you shared, I yep. mean, was incredible. And one of the things that was most stressful about it is I didn't have a plan. I didn't know what I was going to do if this fails. Like, right. I mean, I got money into this thing and I'm going to lose it all. I didn't have, where's my backup. I didn't have one at this point. Yeah. I mean, either with all I got some money on the side. I got, I was working everything through. I had, I was safe. Mm-hmm. But this one was like, we got hit with this and I had no idea what the future was going to do. So we kind of just dug in and committed and, and just made it, made it work, but right. barely, you know, just yeah. barely. And the daily stress was overwhelming. It was yeah. just, God, this is not fun. You know, it's I just, know.
1: Like, yeah, I'm not cool. even joking. When you started talking about it, I was literally getting like, I could feel my anxiety level rise again to thinking about yeah. those times. And now yeah. it's like, I was talking to somebody today and we just somehow we got on COVID conversations like, fuck, doesn't that seem like a whole different lifetime that we went through exactly. that? And exactly. I, also, yeah. I also think like looking back now, it's a lot easier to say in hindsight, but man, like I, I do feel like when we all look back at that time period, we're going to be like, wow, we crippled the economy in a massive overreaction. Yes, it was. <laughs> like, it was. I mean,
3: nobody knew what they were nope, doing. They were nope. just trying to figure it out. So, but I mean, obviously, if this happens again, I think we're going to be better prepared. But man, well, one it would hope. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it does seem a lifetime ago. It, it does, was not right? Long ago, yeah. No, now it was like, yeah. Now we're just looking forward. How are we going to? What are we doing next? You know. What are we or, doing next? You know? Yeah. Uh,
1: so yeah. so you're so you're living in Cartagena at the time. You make it through this. At what point do you, are you like okay? I should go back to New York. And when you went back to New York, was it with the intention of opening a bar? Or I, I have kids in New York, so okay. I so I actually commute. I go. Every oh, two weeks. okay, okay.
3: okay. So I'm two weeks in Cartagena, two weeks in in, um, in New York. During the pandemic, they closed the borders, and sure. I got locked into Cartagena. Yeah. Um so I didn't see my kids for about eight months either. So no, that okay, was tough. Yeah. yeah. Uh but now I'm back. And so there was always I've always been in New York, uh, never quite out, but at this, you know, up until now it's just really focusing on building up Mondo and making sure it's doing okay and, and mm-hmm. getting ahead. And we are, we're doing really well now. Great. Um and we're 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 making um I mean we're we're doing some really cool things. We're, like next Saturday, we're in Mexico City. And we're doing a bar takeover at Ryo and uh, Onica, which is we're op- we're the opening act for employees only, right, and crazy. they're they're coming in after us. And I think uh, you know, I said I don't know who they think we are, but they invited <laughs> us. <laughs> so, so somebody's noticed us. And yeah, that's we're great. Start, we're starting to get some notoriety, and and our cocktails are really you know they're really good. So so been focused on that but i always wanted to be back in new york mm-hmm. and now we're working at new york as, again um getting a team together get some investors together because i do need them here you know there's yeah. uh, the cost here is just astronomical right now i
1: can't even fucking imagine i know how much it <laughs> costs to open a bar in kitchener and like <laughs> so i can yeah. only imagine new york like what uh i don't want you to divulge what you're spending on a bar or anything like that but like give me a like, give our listeners a basis of, like, what a square footage price is from a New York real estate, like, in, say, the West Village, where you're looking.
3: Right now, we're looking at, you know, 2,000 square feet. Like, on the average place that I'm looking around, 2,000 square feet runs anywhere from twenty five dollars to $40,000 a month. Jesus um, Christ. So, yeah. I mean, that's, that. I mean, that's, I know that's a, that's a scary number for most markets. Yeah. Uh, but here it's not. It's not overwhelming. Like if you're going to make it, you you should be able to make that in in a weekend. So
1: right, yeah, yeah. And, and that's what it's like I always look at it this way yeah. is like, and people always ask me how you crunch the numbers on this, and I'm like, well, basically you're trying to at the very least, like make your the biggest parts of your overhead on the first weekend of the month, right? So then yep. the rest of the month is spent trying to make profit, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's kind of the key. So if, you, as, if you've if crunched the numbers, it really doesn't. It's funny, like you throw out a number like that. It sounds astronomical. Sounds crazy to, mm-hmm. to what we're paying, but it's all relative, right? As long as you right. can make that on the first weekend, then that's what it is.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, average cocktail price is $17, $19 in the West Village. Right. uh you know and a lot of people oh it. so it's you know your market is big and they're yeah. they're active and they're drinking a lot and a yeah. lot of a lot of money you know you know they're, yeah. they're not afraid to spend so 100 200 tabs are just normal uh yeah. for a couple hours of drinking you know, I so, know.
1: and yeah, we always say quick. like in the businesses like you know like it is what it is like it, i was talking to another bar owner just the other day and they were talking about we had a recent minimum wage increase. It used to be like server minimum wage and then regular minimum wage. And now yeah. there's no server minimum wage now. It's just all the same minimum wage. And he was like, when you're we talking about because somebody was asking us uh, about it and we're like, well, I don't pay that. You, you, you guys pay that. Like I just yeah. like yeah, you know, we just raise our prices. <laughs> you know, that's how yeah. it works. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think payroll is you
3: know the, the number one expense. It's the, yeah. it's the hardest mm-hmm. thing to control. You know, mm-hmm. they're they just they just released in New York that they're raising minimum wage to seventeen dollars an hour. Right. Just workers will saying, probably yeah. be making about fifteen. So, and then with all the payroll taxes on top of it, it's pretty much double. You know, you're paying yep. about twenty eight to thirty dollars an hour per person. Crazy. So that's something out of control, but uh, but at least not—it's not, th- s- not that in Cartagena. <laughs> no, I <I'm> bet. <not. laughs> <laughs> that's it, where I save. That's where I save money. It is incredibly cheap down there,
1: for right? And yeah. the funny thing about the labor, at least though, is that you can't—you do have some semblance of control over it because yeah. you can monitor like your hours, like how many hours you're doing in a week. You have control over how many people are working and for how many hours. Whereas, like your rent and your insurance and your hydro and all of that stuff is those are set prices that's there's nothing you can do about it <laughs>
3: yeah that's the one of the places where you can control it so that's yeah that's one of the places we attack almost well, try and get the maximum efficiency for the minimum amount of people More yeah
1: it's why, it's why you'll never meet a bar owner who's not obsessed with labor <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: but, but to put it in perspective we're i'm paying gosh my bartenders now and carton are making about $400 a month. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, what's t- and they're, t- they're, they're kind on the, and plus they make tips.
0: Okay. What's, yeah. What's tipping, tipping like down there?
3: So they, they add 10%. We standard to put 10% onto the, uh onto the okay. tab.
2: Like an autograph. What's crazy yeah. To,
3: yeah. It's crazy to me, but the credit card processors down there don't allow you to add a tip onto your credit card. Oh, so well, you know how we, well, yeah. we decide, we decide what the gratuity is. Mm. They don't do that. So they only make about 10% um, on that. And then I, I always, when I'm talking to the, to the gringos, I'm like, you know, if you guys want to throw them cash, you should you don't think about it because they don't, they don't make sense. But yeah. I'm also one of the, probably the few owners in town that actually gives a hundred percent of my tips to, to my staff. I think a lot of them take a yeah. lot of it. You know, I've heard really? as much as 80%, you know. <sighs> Yeah, like, they, it doesn't make it back to these guys. So it's, a, it's amazing
1: that anybody wants to do that yeah. job. Like, <laughs> I mean, I guess well, some people just don't have a choice, right? <laughs> yeah,
3: it, it's a pretty good job. I mean, if yeah. you're a bartender in Cartagena, you're you're doing pretty well compared to some of the other people, you right, know, in the industry, in the tourist industry, mm-hmm. anyways. So they're they're doing pretty well. Yeah.
1: And what's the? Yeah, (laughs) what's the general? Like I know Cartagena is a big tourist city, like you mentioned, or probably is getting back to that now. What's like the scene there in general? So is it all different kinds of bars, like any major tourist city, or is there sort of a focus on certain types of establishments? Like, are you one of the few, like cocktail bars?
3: That we're we're one of the few ones, but we're actually you know on the on the same block. Uh, is Alchemico, which is one of the top fifty bars in the world. They are right. six doors down from us. Um oh, they're cool. a huge place. Yeah. and they're more like a club. and they're they're going more for the party atmosphere now and less cocktail focused, I would guess to say. Uh, mm-hmm. we're more cocktail focused now. Uh, there's a, a couple other small cocktail bars. There's a lot of rooftops. There's a lot of clubs. So it's, it's, I mean, it, it think when you're going on vacation, what do you, where do you see? You're, you're seeing party spots Yes, yeah. the majority of them. So right. we're pretty lively too. We play our music pretty loud on the weekends and people are dancing and it's, it's fun in there. So.
1: But the, but they like the quality of like craft cocktail is sort of what makes you stand pretty good. Pretty yeah, strong. That's good. Yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah. Pretty strong. So a lot of, yeah, I mean, everybody's doing clarified to cocktails and you know, acids and you know like we're 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 doing all that stuff too you know yeah
2: good um, that's cool
3: but not not everybody but the ones that are focused on it are doing that and they're doing a really good job Mm. so there's another place called el baron which is fantastic cocktails uh townhouse which has good cocktails like there's some really good craft cocktail spots nice Uh, but not the but then there's a, a ton of places that are just the worst mojito you've ever had you know <laughs> yeah
1: yeah, yeah. I, I, I picture like a lot of kind of cheesy nightclubs as well so <laughs> yeah okay so i tell we don't want you to divulge anything that you don't want to divulge yet but what what can you tell us about what you're looking to do in the west village
3: that's going to be a cocktail um, i, I want to try and get back to old school like it depends on the space the space that i'm really interested in right now if i get it um we'll see how that plays plays out but it, it, it's really lending itself to maybe an old school cocktail like old school New York, it's yeah. kind of a little darker, a little smaller, uh, and really be cocktail focused, much less on the on the party side, but much more on on really elevating the drinks that we have and and the service, and and making it a very cool kind of you know like '50s feel to it, in New York, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, i love
1: that like i always think the yeah. uh, one place i always kind of wanted to open here was like you know all those bars that like uh, i don't know if you're not allowed to say this anymore but like the bars that, that you'd always see in woody allen movies that they would always drink yeah. but yeah like yeah. i just love that old school sort of like yeah. like those cool like old lampshades on the tables and yeah I would, yeah.
3: We, we were already we we're already saying we're gonna put a little we're gonna put little lamps on the tables
1: yeah <laughs> i love <laughs> it know,
3: yeah like, you know, make it dark with the booths and the leather oh, boots yeah. and the yeah. leather bar, and you know, like yeah, we want to go, we want to go that direction. I love but again, it. It's, it depends on the space. Like, well, sure, if we get well, the space. Yeah. yeah,
1: and I'm glad that you said that because it's funny. I learned that lesson the hard way. At my first bar, I kind of we just sort of crammed a concept into a space that didn't really suit it because we were just like we found a space and we already had a concept. And I learned that that the the thing you need to do is what you're well, you already learned before me obviously which is that you have a bunch of concepts and then find the space that when you find your space figure out which concept works best in that space that's the way yeah to and, and let your customer base talk to you
3: you know yeah. let let the customers decide what this thing i mean if it's working for them follow it i mm-hmm. think a lot of guys get into mind i want this concept and then right. try to force it down the throat of whatever's happening and it, and it doesn't always work that way you know just it's out of your hands a bit. Let it, let it just grow, you know? And, yeah. And find and, its own
1: way. And be willing to like, I, the worst, the worst word of the fucking pandemic was pivot for our industry. But like, <laughs> but it's also kind of taught us something that like, at least it taught me something that, yeah, you can start with a concept, but don't be afraid to let your customer base tell you if they, if they want you to pivot a little bit, right? Like you don't yeah. be, you can't be so rigid anymore. Yeah. I mean, we,
3: um, I mean, we opened as a tiki bar. That was that was my deal. I was like, I, you know, I've always loved tiki bars every time I've, you know, I, my time in Los Angeles, there's some great tiki bars there, tiki tea room. Mm-hmm. And in my back of my mind, I always thought it would be really fun to own one. And mm-hmm. I thought it's tropical next to the Caribbean, you know, so I thought it's a good, good idea. Now we're kind of getting away from it. And not so much because I, I you know, it's just the Colombians don't know what the hell tiki is. They don't get it. (laughs) They (laughs) like nice things. They like really, you know, they don't like dive bars. They like nice bars. So I was like, oh, wait a second. We got to get these Colombians in because we don't have enough tourists now. And that would happen because of the pandemic. So I go, well, i got to kind of redefine what our concept is. And let's go a little higher end and make it a little nicer. Um, And then now we're working on a, a new identity that was presented by one of my bartenders. And it's a really cool idea. So I go into work. It's a Saturday night, and this bartender, is 23 years old. He's just got a heart of gold. He comes from zero money. He comes from way down the coast. And, you know, he's just happy to be with us. And he's been with us for two years now, and he's, you know, he's really improved. And he's become a really great bartender. And he says, I want to make a presentation to you tomorrow. And I have a projector and a screen for showing the soccer games during the World Cup. and stuff. But can you bring the, the projector tomorrow? I want to do like a present, presentation. And I'm like, Oh, is this kid going to ask me for money? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, know presentation. Yeah. <laughs> so he put together this idea of what's called Tiki Costeño. Now, Costeño is the coast of Colombia. If you're from the coast of Colombia or anything cultural to that part of Colombia, it's Costeño. It's Cost Costeño means coastal. So he goes, "Let's let's try our drinks and make you know get away from being like traditional Tiki drinks, and we and we do have really high end Tiki cocktails." but let's get away from that and let's focus more on the culture of the Colombian coast as our identity. And let's create cocktails with an identity to a certain part of the coast or something that's happened historically or something that's important to us. So he's from this tiny little village on the South coast and the, a lot of, you know, a lot of a lot of slavery was was happening. when it was a slave hub, so there's a lot of uh, African American, I'm not African American, African culture mixed into the Spanish culture in this part of Colombia. And his village is kind of like that, and they do a lot of drumming and, and have this African songs, and they they call it the buiorengue. And so he wanted to create a cocktail on that, and he did. So he took some, some traditional things, like they do this fermented pineapple liquor that they they make. And then every year they they dig it up, they bury it for a year, they dig it up, and then they drink that while they're doing these drumming things and this dance, this African dance. It's really important to him. It's like it's not part of his. It's really part of his his identity. Mm-hmm. And so he created a cocktail with the the fermented pineapple with some other you know mm-hmm. things that were part of their their culture. So a couple of weeks ago we we drove down there, we filled up a truck with a bunch of stuff and. We built a bar on the beach and invited all his friends down, and they did the the bullerengue for us. They did the the drumming and the dancing, and we made a little pop up bar right on the beach.
1: That's and, awesome! <laughs> and showed
3: them how to make the cocktails. They were like, these guys had never seen a gringo before. I was the first, you know, American they'd ever seen. They were kind yeah. of wow. Taking, they were sweet as hell, and showed them how to make the drinks, and then gave it to everybody. Came down to watch the whole the whole. town came down and we were handing up drinks up the cliff to people and had a great time. So that's going to be kind of more of our focus of, of finding something specifically cultural to either Cartagena or up the coast or down the coast. And we've got eight now ready to go working on a knife. And I think we're almost ready to unveil the whole thing. But that's that's an exciting concept for me because it's really tying together the heart of. My team and I have an amazing team, they're the best mm-hmm. team in Colombia. Guarantee it. Uh, we're we're they, they, they talk about you know teams being a family. You know, ours really is like yeah. these kids. They're like my kids because um, right. they're they're not like it's a different culture, and I've allowed them to grow and support them, and they don't get that opportunity in, in a lot of you know businesses down there. They're sort of suppressed and just shut up and do your job, and I've kind of let them grow and 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 fill it in. So. We've got this amazing little team, and if they're going to come up with a concept like that, I'm going to support it, and we're going to roll with it. And so that's going to become the bar's identity now, is working more on this, you know, celebration of Costaña culture rather than just a tiki bar in Cartagena. And, and yeah. it, 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 it made it. I left that presentation almost teary eyed mm-hmm. that this kid had thought it through and, and and wanted to bring this into to the bar. I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, hell yeah, I'm gonna support this. You know? That's awesome. It was, it was it was very cool. Yeah.
1: That's amazing, Mike. Well, this yeah. has been a super fascinating conversation. Yeah. Why uh, tell us, <laughs> tell our listeners where they can uh do you do you have like social media for these places or how do you
3: Yeah, our our Instagram is MondoCTG, which is short for Cartena. So M-O-N-D-O-C-T-G. Uh, awesome. and then you can find all the rest of our information from there
1: and what uh what about uh when your new project gets underway is there any how you want to get the word out about that is it too early for that too early yeah okay yeah all right yeah all right well we'll,
3: hopefully it'll be soon you know okay
1: well Well, best of luck man i know it's a lot of work uh, i know personally what the work that goes into this and you obviously are passionate about it still so that's awesome and uh, we really appreciate you coming out and sharing your story here that was super interesting
3: Hey man, I really appreciate it. And you know, I know I rambled, but I I'm, I hope uh, you know, Not hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. We I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. It was great. Man,
1: that was cool. awesome. Yeah, it was great, Mike. Thanks, buddy. Take care.